What's up, Life Point Church? How are we doing today? Come on, all of our locations. We're so glad to be together and thankful to be one church in a lot of places. We got a campus meeting in the East Valley Dream Center in Phoenix, Arizona, Chandler, Arizona. We want to say what's up to you guys, also to our Austin P. State University campus, which is rolling strong, and also uh, for those that are watching by video here at our Rossview Road location and those joining us online and around the world through On Demand as well. We say welcome to all of you. My name is Mike. I get to serve here as lead pastor of our church. I want to take a moment again to welcome our first-time guest. And like Pastor Mark said, if you would just text those letters LPC to 31996, that would be a, the best way to connect with you. If you're in the room and you want to fill out a connection card, uh, they're in the seat back in front of you as well. Hey, um, as we've been saying these last few weeks, I want to encourage all of you to participate in small groups. It's the best thing we do at this church. I know that our, as our church gets bigger, we want to get better, and the, and the best thing we do is small groups. Biggest thing is Sundays, small groups the best thing. So I would rather you be a part of a small group than anything else here at this church. And so join us online. You can go to lifepointchurch.tv and join a group, host a group. We've got the resources available for that. The point is do life in relationship with other believers in Jesus' name. Amen, everybody. Um, hey, thank you as you've been so generous. I want to thank you again for your giving and generosity. And as we talk about it every week, like this is a, an opportunity to be obedient to the Lord. We bring tithes to the Lord, which is that first tenth that we give to God. And we also give offerings beyond that. And I want to give you an opportunity to know about something that's coming up for you to give time and time and, and skill and talent. And also you can give money towards as well. But uh, just so you know, whether you give online, in the mail or on the app, thank you for your generosity and uh, specifically, this next this month in October on the 23rd, and, and really we're going to encourage this at every location. And even if you're watching around the world and you're deployed somewhere, you're you're on a you're at a duty station somewhere else. I want to encourage you to create an opportunity for a serve day project. October 23rd is our quarterly serve day. How many of you know Jesus said that He didn't come to be served, but to serve others? If you want to be more like Jesus, serve somebody. And so you can come up with a project on your own, or you can join us at LifePoint on our website. We'll have some projects that you can sign up for as well. Start with your small group. Ask your small group, who can we serve? Who do we want to be a blessing to? Last year, we had a small group that decided to help the, a neighbor in the neighborhood where they were hosting their small group. And it turned out to be a guy who had uh, no ability to care for his own home and his own house. They started going, can we trim the bushes and cut your grass for you? That turned into about an eight-month relationship where ultimately that man, uh, they ended up servicing his funeral and before that guy met the Lord face-to-face, -face, he gave his life to Jesus as a result of serving him. And it started with knocking on the door, asking if we can serve. So we celebrate that, and we're, we're going to tell you that story again uh, one day by video. But on October 23rd, uh, we are asking everyone in our church to create a serve project. It is a part of what we do quarterly now. But we're also going to be doing an, an initiative. We've never done this before, but we're going to focus on our, uh, our frontline heroes. We're, we're doing a serve day, what we're calling our hero initiative. How many of you know the last 18 to 20 months have been difficult for everybody, but specifically our frontline medical workers. I'm talking nurses, doctors, hospital administrators, medics, EMS workers, EMTs, paramedics, those specifically working in the medical field. Now, we can focus on 50 different groups of people that have had a rough two years, but we want to give some energy and effort um, on, on the weekend of October 23rd. We are going to work together with another couple amazing organizations, including EMS and the hospital to offer a serve day, really a weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We want to bless like crazy the medical professionals connected to our hospital here in Clarksville, to Nova Hospital, whether it's the one by the mall or the Exit 11 emergency room, and all of the Montgomery County EMS workers. We want to bring food trucks and outreach and ice cream and encouragement from our kids. are going to be writing handwritten notes saying, thank you for what you're doing. You know, a year ago, medical workers were the heroes, 
And now they're being villainized very often because of their positions on various things. And uh, we just want to let medical professionals in our community know we love you. We are for you. We're with you. We want to encourage you and be a blessing to you. So that whole weekend, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, we're going to have stuff during the lunch and the evening shift, both shifts, day shift and night shift, and for three days in a row. So we make sure to get everybody that's on shift over those three days. And if you'd like to give specifically to this, it's going to be an expensive blessing, but we want to be a blessing to those uh, that, that serve our community so well. And your giving will already help make that happen. You can give as an offering as well. Also, listen, come and show up on the, those three days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Help us pray. Lay hands on nurses and doctors and medical professionals and hospital administrators. I mean, help lay hands and pray for people and just be an encouragement. Jesus taught that when we bless others, it's like doing it unto him. How many of you want to be a blessing to the Lord? Amen, everyone? All right. Hey, turn with me to Acts 6 um, as we continue in our Book of Acts series. How many of you have been blessed by this series so far? Just say amen. Praise the Lord. Well, hey, uh, we're continuing. Y'all are not in the clapping mood today. It's okay. I'm going to just clap for myself. Go on, man. Go on, Hercules. Hercules, Hercules. That's a throwback reference right there. Y'all get that one? We are back in the Book of Acts series, and I am loving this series. If you miss any of it, please get on our website, our app, get on YouTube or, our, or the podcast app and get caught up. Last week was challenging and provoking, especially as it pertains to how we all get to serve the body of Christ, how we all participate as a part of the church body and how we get to be a part of serving and leading and belonging and blessing our church family. And as our church grows, we talked about last week that we will have growing pains. And how many of you know growing pains are a natural and healthy part of growth, but it doesn't mean they're not painful. And a lot of people resist growth and resist change because they resist pain. But we embrace growing pains because we believe people far from God matter, and we're going to always make room for them. Can I hear a big amen? amen. So today we're in Acts 6, and we're going to finish this chapter with a message that I have titled, When Passion for God Catches Some Heat. When your love for God, your passion for God, your commitment to God catches heat. Can anybody relate to having some kind of passion or something you love that people uh, criticize you for or you have to take heat for it? It could be your love for Alabama sports. God bless you in the Lord. You need to catch all kinds of grief for that. The only crimson tide we care about is the precious blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Maybe it's your love of cats. They are straight up spawns of the devil, and I don't understand why you like them, but you will get heat from me for cats. You know what I'm saying? Can I hear an amen? The only cool cat's a lion, a tiger, a jaguar. All the cat lovers right now are like, I am never coming here again. Just wait, it'll get worse, I promise. No, but honestly, if you have, and I, I pick on those things probably because uh, Alabama are winners, and well, anyway. Um, but I don't believe in cats, they're the devil. Now, it may be your love for a sports team, a certain political figure or position. You may have been vocal about a musician that you really like, come on new kids, only to catch flack from your friends and family. In the last two years, we have seen an uptick in people becoming more vocal and more uh, outspoken and, and confident in supporting various positions or politics or various issues happening. And depending on what side of those issues you stand, you might take some heat for it. Right? Like maybe you're on the opposite side of the vaccine debate as your coworkers or your family, and you can't have a single conversation without it getting heated. Maybe you're on the opposing side with your friends or your neighbors about the recent 2020 presidential election, and to have a conversation and engage that is absolutely all out verbal attack. Well, sometimes our passions 
get to be so strong, it, it becomes the only thing that we're known for. Like when people see you coming, they know that, that your passions are coming with you. And, and often our passions can be benign. And honestly, I joke about Alabama sports and whatever cats, but, but they're really benign. They're not eternal things that matter forever. But sometimes our passions become so prominent that our love for something or our drive for something can become the, the thing that drives a wedge between us and others, actually making us ineffective as friends or people to be in relationship with. Whether it's your teams or the the passion for your job, whatever, or it could be the thing that you become so well known for to the point that you become a powerful influence and an ally for that which you're most passionate about. That being the case, what if your faith in Jesus and your commitment to Christ was so central to who you are that for anyone to see you, anyone to know you're coming, they know that a person full of passion for the Lord was coming? What if, what if your passion for Christ and your love for his word was so well known, it was the greatest marker of your life in the eyes of others? Not your profession, not your net worth, not your skin color or your passion for politics. What if your passion for God was so evident that you became the most powerful witness in your circle for your faith? The other side of that is what if we actually were so passionate for the things of the Lord that it actually cost you something? to follow Jesus passionately. Jesus said that he was hated. Jesus said he was persecuted and that if we follow him, we will be persecuted and hated too. And I'm not just talking about a little bit of shade on your timeline when you post a Bible verse. I'm talking for real persecution. What if your faith in Jesus was actually under pressure or taking heat from other people? Better question, what about your faith in Christ is actually worth taking heat from others? Either from the devil or from his people. See, I believe a passion for God will always be a threat to the devil. And I also believe a passion for God will always read counter to the prevailing culture. And how many of you know our culture is very loud? Our culture is very determined to win in the culture war. And to belong to Jesus and to be passionate for Jesus, it's countercultural. What about your walk with God and your devotion to Christ is a threat to the culture or the devil at all. That's what happens to this character that we've really just been introduced to last week in the book of Acts. His name is Stephen. And we're introduced to him in the last passage in Acts chapter six as one of the seven men that were selected by the congregation to lead the ministry, the dream team of feeding and distributing to the Hellenistic widows. If you missed that message, it was last week. the Hellenistic widows complain to the disciples saying, nobody's taking care of us. So the disciples gather everyone, the apostles gather all the disciples and say, pick from among you seven people of good reputation, full of the spirit, full of wisdom, and let them do the, the ministry of serving these on this dream team. And the first name mentioned was Stephen. So that's where we get an introduction to Stephen. And he's, he went from a nobody to a somebody in really quick timing. In fact, uh, spoiler alert, which I'm assuming you've read this in your Bible, But next week, we're preaching all of Acts chapter 7, and Stephen becomes such a central figure to the gospel, he actually becomes the first martyr in the New Testament. But he never appears prior to last week's passage in Acts chapter 6. He's a brand new somebody who was previously a nobody. He's a guy you've never heard of. He's not one of the original 12 disciples. We have no indication that he was in the company of Jesus for his three and a half years of ministry. But he's been raised up by by the other Christians, and he's been appointed to serve And then he takes tons of heat for his faith in Jesus. 
Next week, we're going to see that he was killed for it. We're going to walk through this passage slowly together, starting in verse 8 through 15. But the first thing I want you to understand is that God will empower normal people. Can I just ask real quick, are any of the original 12 apostles uh, alive and with us in the room right now? Any of you guys, the original 12, Stephen? Or Peter, uh, Thaddeus, you know, like any of you guys here? Okay. So anybody, a post-12 apostles, normal person that God called to himself later in life? All of you can raise your hand. Please just help me out. My goodness. Um, you are like Stephen. You were a nobody who became a somebody in the family of God. Watch, watch how they introduced Stephen. Remember last week uh, in verse five, it says, uh, what they said pleased all who gathered. And so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, proselyte of Antioch. They sat before the apostles. They prayed and laid hands on him. And the word of God continued to increase. Verse eight says, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and great signs among the people. Now, I just want to pause here first. Before we get into when your passing causes you to take some heat, where in the world did this guy come from? I mean, Stephen was a nobody. We don't even know this guy exists four verses ago. In fact, none of the apostles knew that this guy probably exists. It's the Christians that rally together and go, hey, we need to put Stephen on the dream team. This guy was a nobody. He went from a zero to a hero real fast. Look at this. Never mentioned prior to four verses ago, and look what the scripture says about him. This is the descriptive words that, that Luke, the writer of Acts, says about him. He's full of grace. He's full of power. He's doing great wonders. He's doing great signs. He has a good reputation. If you go back to the last verse, uh, previous section in verse five, uh, they, they, they said, select from yourselves someone with a good, rep verse three, a good reputation, full of the spirit and full of wisdom. So he's got good reputation. He's full of the Holy Spirit and he's full of wisdom. These are the words that describe this guy, Stephen, who we've never heard of before. Not one of the 12 apostles, by the way, for all of you that believe the gifts of the Holy Spirit stopped with the 12 apostles, like miracles, etc. Here's one of the not 12 apostles who's being used in signs and wonders. Ooh, get me preaching now. That's for my cessationist Calvinist friends. I don't know about you, but I just wonder about Stephen. I read this and I go, where in the world does this guy come from? We're studying in our sermon prep group this week and I'm like, look at what Luke has written about this guy. Full of grace, full of power, doing great wonders, doing great signs, good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. This guy went from zero to hero recognition. And if God can use a normal nobody like Stephen, I'm encouraged to know that God might be able to use a normal nobody like me and like you. Can I hear an amen, everybody? But how did Stephen get this kind of reputation? How in the world was this the first time we've ever heard of him? It's not like he came up on the scene and we've been watching him for the last 20 years and all of a sudden, boom, of course it was Stephen. It's like he goes from first introduction to like one of the best testimonies written about anyone so far in the whole Bible. Nobody has a list of these seven things on their name within four verses of their introduction. How in the world does that happen? You gotta understand that, first of all, God uses people that you and I have never heard of before. Isn't that great news that God can use people that you haven't approved of? 
Isn't it great to know that God will use people and his church is way bigger than just those, of the, those that you have gotten to know and those that you can put your blessing on. God is still using normal people all across this world that some of us have never heard of before. He's not limited to who we know or who we approve of. God promotes and assigns people far for, for way more than what we think people are capable of. And I want to encourage you with this. God can use you too. You may have never been, listen to me, you may have never been on anyone else's radar. You may have never been a public figure. You may have not run in the crowd of those who are getting stuff done. You may have never shown up for anyone else's approval, but you've been on God's radar and you've been somebody God has his eye on. And the Bible says you're the apple of his eye. And if God can use a normal nobody like Stephen, I'm telling you, God can use a normal nobody like us. He's been in the Bible for four verses. Are y'all hearing the gravity of what I'm saying? This guy didn't exist before four, ver- four verses ago to anybody that mattered. But God saw him. God knew Stephen. And he's already seen as this person full of faith and wisdom, the power of the Holy Spirit used by God to do miracles. People like him make me wonder, how does that happen? How do I grow in reputation like this? Listen to me. Stephen may be a new character to us. He is not a new character to God. Stephen may be a novice in the Christian church leadership world, but he was a seasoned saint when it came to being developed in his private life with God. Like King David, when he was anointed by the prophet to be the king of Israel, his own family thought, well, he's little, you know, dirty-faced, snappy-headed little younger brother. He's nobody. He's, don't even worry about him. But what Samuel saw in David and what God revealed to the prophet about David was he was, before he was a mighty man publicly, he was a mighty man privately in his devotion to the Lord. David had a daily rhythm of life with God. He was writing songs and choruses and psalms that you and I still worship the Lord to today. He was singing before God. He was trusting God in those private spaces way before he had to exhibit his trust in God in public places. So let me tell you something. Stephen came on the scene with this incredible reputation, but that's because privately and previously, Stephen had a deep abiding devotion to the Lord Jesus. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? When I read about Stephen, I think, what, about, what, what did his personal devotion life look like? Man, in order to have that sort of testimony, what was his personal and private prayer life like? How did he spend his private time with God in order to be used in public ministry for God like this? You don't just all of a sudden have this kind of reputation just sprung upon you. Nobody gave him that reputation. He earned it through his love for the Lord. He must have had a disciplined life of prayer and worship with God for his life to turn out like this. Man, I've had those accusations. You know, I'm a a young leader and God's done a lot of stuff here. I remember in my 30s, people saying, who do you think you are to get to do those kind of things? And I'm like, you never knew the times that I had weeping before the Lord, begging for him to use me as a young Christian before I ever had a platform, ever had a ministry. Before I was ever a pastor, I was doing Christian things before the Lord. That's where God proves us and sharpens us and shapes us. It's never in the public spot. It's always first in the private place. The things about Stephen that impress me is that if God can use a nobody like him, man, God will use a nobody like me. And God wants to use and promote and empower. Listen, God wants to use and promote and empower people who are known by him. That's the key. It's not about your pedigree, what family you grew up in, what church you attend, what seminary you went to. It's about are you known by God? And Stephen clearly 
was. You can't be full of a spirit you don't do life with. You can't be full of God's wisdom and not know God's word. This guy had a devotion life that produced that. So can I just tell you something, normal people? This is, the, this is the reputation I believe God wants for all of us. This is the reputation I believe God wants for the body of Christ, that he wants you to know him. He wants you to grow in him. This is why I can't stress this to you enough before we get into the, the pressure that he's going through. You need a personal devotion life to the Lord. I just, I gotta stress it and push it because I feel like, like the American version of Christianity is I go fill up at the church filling station. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean on the, the ministry of my pastor, or I'm going to fly in on the, tail, the, the tailcoats of my spouse or my Christian friends. You need a personal devotion to the Lord. If you ever want this to describe you, your prayer life must look like you're building that. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? So every day, listen, every day, every day, everybody say every day, spend time with God. Put it on your calendar. Put it on your phone, like tell your, your phone to tell you it's prayer time for the next 10 minutes. Spend time just praying, talking to the Lord. Jesus taught us how to pray. Our Father in heaven, start with worship. Hallowed be your name. And before you ask for anything from him, tell him how great he is. Worship the Lord. Then spend time in his word every single day. There is no substitute for time in God's word. You know how you grow in wisdom and understanding of the things of God is grow in time in the word of God. Spend time every day with God. Just put it on your calendar. People that say, well, I don't have time to spend time with God. You don't make time to spend time with God. Worship the Lord every day. Don't wait for a, a, a guy with a guitar to lead you in songs from a stage. You got a playlist. You got a radio. Come on, somebody get your old school cassettes if you got to and pop it in and let's go in with the Lord. Be faithful in your church. Fall in love with the Lord. What I love about Stephen, he was raised up from within the congregation. He didn't just all of a sudden get a job at church. He was in the church when they called him forward. Be faithful to your church. Serve, be in small groups. Like, y'all hearing what I'm saying? I feel like I'm preaching better than you're shouting right now. Come on. Listen to me. Fall in love with God. And fall in love with your time with God. I want you to treat God like you treated courting your spouse or a serious relationship. Man, you could not wait to get together. You couldn't wait to spend time together. Just yesterday, I'm, I'm mowing my grass. And mowing grass is a great thing for a guy with borderline OCD personality tendencies. Straight lines. Anybody got straight line OCD? Come on now. Mowing grass helps. Man, I'm the guy, if I miss something in the last lane, I will back up, go fix it, back up again to get back in my line. I don't just go making circles all nilly-willy. No, no, no. Is it willy-nilly? I think it's willy-nilly. See how I backed up and corrected that? Weeds in the yard, y'all, I'm telling you. You need to fall in love, like get OCD about your time. So I'm mowing the grass yesterday, and I'm just having this, I'm knowing this sermon's coming up, and I'm just longing for the presence of God. You know what I did? On my playlist, instead of music or another podcast, I literally, I just played the entire book of Romans because I want the word of God just in me every day somehow, whether I read it with my eyeballs or I, I hear it through the, the, the reading it to me on a, on a mower. Man, fall in love with your time with God. And I'm telling you something, he loves spending time with you. All right, so all of these things were said about Stephen. I feel like this is its own sermon. I could just park right here for a long time. But we got to move on because we're committed to the text. Then some of those who belong to the synagogue of the freedmen. Now, the, we did a lot of research trying to figure this out, who these people were, because uh, the, the 
synagogue language is the, the Hebrew tradition, right? And the freedmen were those who were Jewish by upbringing or by birth, but they were um, enslaved by Rome because Rome is occupying everything. And so for, and somehow they were set free from Roman occupation. And in their freedom, they went into like deeper commitment to the Jewish traditions, all of the law, keeping of the synagogue rules and the law. So these now freed men actually bound by religion, some that belong to the synagogue of the freedmen. You remember religious people always critiquing Jesus, right? Well, now Stephen, this man full of wisdom, grace, power, miracles, signs and wonders, he's being critiqued by religious people as well. Some of those who belong to the synagogue of the freedmen out of, and out of the Cyrenians, the Alexandrians, those of Cilicia, Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. Man, isn't it just like religious folks to argue with people who are getting something done for God? Hello? Isn't it just like religious folks to argue with people who are actually getting something done for God? He's literally flowing in wisdom and full of grace and the power of God and signs and wonders. And rather than go, let me bring my grandma, let me bring my aunt and my uncle who are sick, let me bring those that are, got COVID and those that are affected by oppression, let me bring these people to Stephen to be blessed by him, they criticize him, they critique him. In fact, it goes on to say, but they couldn't stand the wisdom, and look at this capital S, and the Spirit, Holy Spirit, with which he was speaking. Hey, I just want to encourage you normal people. As you grow close to God, as you're being used by God, you stay focused and you let God use you, people won't be able to argue because when they argue with you, they're actually arguing with God. Y'all hear what I'm saying, y'all? Listen, God will use normal people. His overflow of life with the Lord, they couldn't handle it. They couldn't combat his wisdom because he was so overflowing from his time with God. He knew the word. He knew the Lord. He had the spirit at work in his life. And when he was speaking, it was God speaking through him. Listen, the only way to have the Holy Spirit speaking through you is that you have first been spending regular time with him. It's an amazing invitation for all of you. I preached this a couple weeks ago on the parable of the great banquet. You have an all the time standing invitation into the life of the great banquet called the Christian life. Enjoy the presence of the Lord and let it overflow. Now, God uses normal people and critical critics are critical of what they don't understand. You ever notice critical people? They don't even have all the facts. That's what they think they have. They're armed with the opinions, not the facts. And critical people are often critical of what they don't fully know. So they've come and they've disputed with Stephen. And it says in verse 11, they secretly instigated men who would say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Now, if you want to come against somebody in the first century Jewish tradition, you, you say that they're coming against the laws of Moses, the word of the Torah, the old covenant. That's what Moses represents, the law. And to come against God. How many of you know religious people love to accuse you of coming against their version of God? Boy, that'll preach all day. If I've ever been critiqued here, sometimes it's warranted because I'm a dork. But when it comes to the building we build or the way we do ministry or how we reach people far from God, it's always church people that are like, I can't believe the kind of people that you let in this place. I can't believe the way you do ministry. What kind of sacrilegious God do you serve? I remember one year we were doing a, a back to, um, it was an Easter series and it was called Deny Your Selfie. And the graphic was like a, a social media looking graphic. It looked like the old Facebook banner where you had the picture and it was all blue and it said Facebook on it and it said, deny your selfie. And the picture in the profile was Jesus with sunglasses and a phone taking a selfie. 
And I had a pastor call me, critiquing me that I was sacrilegious for allowing Facebook like around the church. I'm like, do you know everyone in our church is on Facebook? (laughs) This is the same thing we do. In protection of our version of God, we go accusing people who are actually doing something for God. We've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. We're four verses into Stephen's life. We don't even know what he's been saying. I'm telling you, full of wisdom in the spirit. Look at this. They go on to say, and they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. So now all the like firepower is coming behind them. Look what it says. They stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon Stephen and they seized him. Not even the Roman police arrested him. The church leaders arrested him. Well, that's a bad day at church when Sunday school teachers and all of them come and just tackle you and seize you up. You know what I'm saying? Sabbath school. Jewish joke. Okay. Anyway, I mean like, you know, Hebrew first. Read your Bible. All right. They came upon him and they seized him and they brought him before the religious council and they set up false witnesses. Boy, this sounds like what they did to Jesus, right? Look at the lies. They said, this man never stops speaking the words against this holy place. Man, religious people love protecting their places, don't they? The altars, the buildings. He never stops talking blasphemy against this place and against the law, which you come against the law, man, you're coming against God. By the way, this is, um, this is one of the weapons of, of, of bad fighting. Stephanie and I had this agreement. Whenever we fight, because she's not um, agreeing with me, basically. <laughs> it's not why we fight. It's usually me. But we have a rule when we fight. You can never say always and never. and You can't say, oh, you never do this. You always say That's like unfair fighting, right? And that's what they're doing. He always speaks words of blasphemy and against the holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say, now this is interesting, they, they rightly quote something that Jesus said, but they misunderstand what Jesus said because critical people are critical of things they don't understand. Watch this. We've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place. Jesus said that. Remember that? He said, this place will be torn down and no stone will be left upon itself. And he said, and I'll rebuild it, talking about building the temple on the inside of you. He said, this Jesus of Nazareth said, he'll destroy this place and change the customs that Moses had delivered to us. Jesus said all of that, the the law and the prophets are fulfilled in me. And he even said, you can eat shellfish now. Praise God to the glory of Jesus. (laughs) Now, I just want to unpack this for you. It's crazy. They conspired, the religious leaders conspired to take Stephen out. You would think with his reputation, full of the spirit, full of wisdom, full of favor, signs and wonders, miracles, full of grace, that they would be like, this is our guy. But instead, it disrupted their way of life and their way of living for their faith. So they seize him, they lie about him, and spoiler alert, next week we're going to see they kill him. He becomes the first martyr of the New Testament. This is crazy. Critical people criticize what they don't understand. Have you ever noticed people have an opinion about some little post that you make, not knowing anything about the backstory of why you said it, not knowing anything about the past of why you put something out? They, they want to be critical of what they see, the outcomes that you have, but not knowing anything about the backstory. Come on, leaders. Ever had to make a decision that people just destroy and they're just not armed with the same facts as you? They literally made things up. They lied about him, criticized him. They used religious language to attack him, saying that Stephen was blaspheming, coming against God, coming against the holy place, and misusing real quotes of Jesus. How many of you know it, it is something to take the, the words of Jesus out of context 
to attack people. And I'm going to tell you, this is incredibly terrible. They didn't get what he knew. They didn't know who he knew, which is the Lord. And they criticized and they lied about Stephen because they didn't know the God that Stephen knew. And here's what I want you to understand. This is still the world we're living in today. This is still the world that we are living in today, that critics will criticize life for God, the Christian experience, the truth that we believe, the things that we know to be true. It has never changed. People hate the truth. People will attack you for standing for God. People will come against you for believing God's word. People will malign you and accuse you for doing the right thing, especially using your own words against you. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? Does anybody else live in the same world that I live in? They will come against you for truth and believing what God says. But I'm telling you, we, we live in a woke world, right? We live in a cancel culture that threatens everyone who believes. Literally, the Bible is being called hate speech now. We, we, we are being told that to preach the full counsel of the scripture would be to preach hate speech in our culture. The, believing the truth of God's word and God's standards. You will get attacked for saying that racism is sin and wrong. You will get attacked for saying that abortion is wrong in our culture. You will be attacked for saying that marriage is a God-ordained relational framework between one man and one woman born that way for life. You will be attacked for saying that gender is a part of God's specific design and gift for you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made in the gender God gave you. We live in a world where you will be canceled or attacked on social media for literally preaching the Bible. Listen, it happened to me this week. It's happened for 10 years. I've preached the word as it's written, and people will come against and attack and criticize me. Preach it anyway. Live it anyway. Belong to it anyway. Listen, people will attack you for living for God. Live for God anyway. People may not understand that you're living for God. Live for God anyway. Your family may cancel you. Live for God anyway. People may say they don't agree with you. Live for God anyway. God tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, listen. 1 Corinthians 1.18, the way of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, to those who don't believe in Jesus. The way of the cross is foolishness to them. Why would I let critics who don't know my God direct how I live for my God? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Why would I let those on the outside get to determine how I live with him? Never follow the critic, follow Jesus. Never be scared of the critics. Fear God and have a reverence and an awe for him. That is how we believe, how we behave, living your Christian life full of wisdom and power. This was happening in the early church. This is why they killed Jesus, because he stood for something true and eternal and powerful. I'm telling you, church, we got to get back to this place of falling in love with God, falling in love with our time for God. Please don't just be a, a church Christian. Be a follower of Jesus all the time. Christians, sell out to God. People who don't know Jesus don't get to tell you how to live for Jesus. Did y'all hear what I just said? Y'all can tweet that one right there. That's pretty good. <laughs> People who don't know Jesus don't get to tell you how to live for Jesus. Listen, be filled daily with the Spirit of God. Be filled daily with the Word of God. Be empowered. Lay hands on sick people and pray bold prayers. Never give in to your critic. Listen, the Apostle Paul says it like this. He asked this profound question. I'm teaching my daughters this. In fact, every one of you with kids need to teach this verse to your kids. Every one of you, period, need to know this verse. But specifically, if you got kids, fourth grade and up, talk about this. 
Paul says in Galatians 1.10, am I seeking the approval of man or the approval of God? Paul the apostle, who's dealing with criticism of other believers and other Jewish leaders and Christians now, he said, am I seeking the approval of God or of you guys? And he said, am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I'm telling you, church, take a cue from Stephen here in Acts 6. Live for God. Don't let the critics critics critique you or cancel you or confound you, distract you. Don't ever let outside voices keep you from trusting God for his power in your life. You are a son of the most high God. You are a daughter of the most high God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. The word of God is alive in you. It is a lamp into your whole life. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you. You are loved, empowered. You are beloved. You are full of the spirit, full of grace, full of power. No one in your world may understand the God you serve. Serve him anyway. Know God fully, walk with God humbly, live in the power of God every day. I've had family reject me. I've had Christians reject me. I've had pastors reject me, but my God has never rejected me. And I don't live for their correction. I don't live for their acceptance and I don't live for their criticisms. I live for Jesus. Man, I will stand before God one day with none of my critics beside me, only to hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful son. Man, I want to encourage you. This story about Stephen just inspires the mess out of me. Like, what kind of Christianity am I living? What kind of faith in God do I really have? It makes me want to spend more time with him. I don't know about you, but I want that testimony. I'm full of grace, full of power, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. Wisdom's what helps you from clapping back at people. Glory. I mean, if you know... The Bible says in Proverbs that even a fool is thought wise when he shuts his mouth. (laughs) Sometimes it's wise to just shut up. I'm I'm really moved by the life of Stephen. He's come from nowhere. He's a nobody to being a very strong somebody. This guy is so profound. People name their children after him. He's a saint in the Catholic Church. I mean, Stephen. Here's what, here's what I love. I got my preach on today, y'all. I'm, right, I'm ready to close. Listen, before you leave, I want to close. He says, I just want you to see that living in the presence of God, living in the way of God, living in the peace of God, in the presence of God, there's peace there. There's no peace in critics. There's no peace in cancel culture. There's no peace in this world right now. Have y'all noticed that? I mean, are y'all in the same world I'm living in? But under all this pressure, by the way, next chapter, the pressure intensifies. We're going to do the whole chapter next week. It's going to be great. Read ahead. Look what happens in verse 15. So he's in this council, and they're attacking him, lying about him, threatening him, and they gazed at him. This is what they say about him. Look at this. And gazing at him, everyone who sat in the council saw his face was like the face of an angel. None of the other disciples saw that. The people who hated him saw that. You ever get so mad at somebody and they're just in peace and you're like, why aren't you rattled? And they're like, do what you're going to do, man. I mean, Stephen's face was like the face of an angel. Can I tell you something? I love this. Under pressure, Stephen didn't lose his cool. Under scrutiny, even at the risk of death, his face was angelic. Why? The apostle Paul writes in Philippians 4, listen to this. He says, rejoice in the Lord all the time. Again, I tell you, rejoice all times. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. 
The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything. Well, the pressure's on. Don't be anxious about anything. Well, they're coming after me. I'm going to lose my job. Don't be anxious about anything. They're hating me because of my race. Don't be anxious about anything. I'm going to lose my money. Don't be. They're going to make me take the vaccine. Don't, they wouldn't take the vaccine. Don't be anxious about anything. Biden's been elected. Don't be anxious about anything. I wanted Trump to be elected. Don't be anxious about anything. I'm going to lose my house in a flood in Waverly. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, prayer, petition, and thanksgiving. In everything, with prayer, petition, thanksgiving, submit your request to God and the peace of God. This, listen, golly, the same peace God has. You think God ever gets rattled? You think God's going, oh, no, the election didn't go my way. Or, oh, yeah, the election went my way. You think God is ever rattled? The peace of God. That's beyond understanding. will guard your heart and guard your mind in Christ. Stephen had the face of an angel. You know why? Because he spent time with God. The whole life of Stephen that we've seen so far is a result of a life with God. It's actually not so much about Stephen as it is about Jesus. When you know God, the devil doesn't scare you. Can I tell you a stupid story? I'm over time, I need to stop. Can I tell you this real quick? I remember at 22, I started, 21, I started ministry. I was a choir director and a youth pastor at a church of like 600 people, but we had a huge auditorium. And I remember one night my wife was in school doing her graduate degree. And I just wanted to spend some time alone with God, just me and God. And I was learning how to play the piano. I got a music degree, never studied piano. And I was learning how to lead worship from the keyboard, my man over here, thank you. And I was just alone at the church and I'm gonna tell you one of the scariest places in the world is a church at night in the dark. Come on, it's we. I don't know why. I'm alone at the church and I'm playing on the piano. I was 23 years old maybe. I didn't grow up in church. I'm a young Christian, I'm in ministry and I'm just like singing as loud as I can alone. It's like 11 o'clock at night. I had a key to the building, I worked. I'm singing to God and I'm singing, I'm worshiping and I'm telling you it was like the presence of God. And then the whole building went pitch black, all the lights went out. I was scared to death. Oh, man. I was like, what happened? The devil's in the house, you know? And I just remember in that moment, I like this, you know what I'm, I mean, I was so surprised. I was in this moment and then whoosh, the lights all went out. And I think the building was on a timer. <laughs> I didn't know that. But I just remember, look, look, I just remember just this moment where I just stood up on the stage and I started praying and it was a fear in me that I had to just overcome. And I started saying, devil, I wish you would come up on me in the flesh. I got authority of you in the name of Jesus. I'll step on your face right now. I started yelling at the devil like he turned the lights out. <laughs> That's the way we should live our life. Man, I wanna be so close to God, the whole hordes of, of hell can come at me and you ain't gonna slow me down. You can come at me with all you got but greater is he that is in me than he that's in this world. I have authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means overtake us. That's the way Stephen lived, face of an angel. Because of an overflow of his walk with God. People don't intimidate you. The devil doesn't intimidate you. When you're at peace with God, the threats and the turmoils of this world, vaccines and wars and storms, they don't threaten you. Because when you belong to God, losing this life doesn't threaten you. What would it look like for us to have this kind of peace with God? To walk in total peace before God. Like Stephen, to maintain your peace and your wisdom 
and your grace when the world comes against you and is so problematic. It's not just ignoring what's happening. It's not just being ignorant. I'm talking about how do you have real peace, face like an angel, peace under pressure and persecution. I'm gonna tell you how to do it. You ready? Spend more time with God. Let me just tell you something really harsh. You're, gonna, you're not gonna like it, but I don't care. I'm gonna tell you because I love you. If you're struggling with peace, your real struggle is that you don't spend enough time with God. If you're afraid of what's gonna happen in our world and what it's gonna do to you, if you're afraid, all those things may happen. But if you're struggling with peace, your real struggle is the presence of God in your life. And here's the reality of that. God says, I'm always available. You don't even need an appointment. I'm not gonna delay you 30 minutes. I'm not gonna be late to this appointment. You show up and I'll be there. So I wanna challenge you. What if we had a prayer life like Stephen probably had? What if we had a worship life like Stephen probably had? What if we had a devotion life like Stephen where nothing will rattle you as a result? Because you understand greater is he that's in you. You understand the word of God. You're full of wisdom and power. What if you had a faith that put the devil on notice? Oh man, he's awake. All of hell got a CB radio from Satan himself. Breaker, breaker, hell nine. Bill is on his feet. I think the key to Stephen's life was in the private space, not what we see publicly. Can I call us as a church back to private place? I've asked the football players at Austin P every day, read your Bible, put it on your calendar, make it an appointment, like a dentist appointment. It's a devotional appointment. Spend 10 minutes in prayer every day. Spend time in worship, not with a bald-headed guy and a guitar, but with a worship album, which by the way, that song Yahweh, he wrote, and it's on Spotify, and you can worship to that every day. Spend time with God every day. Let him shape and fashion you, normal people, into powerhouse people, to the glory of God. Can I hear an amen, everybody? Come on, isn't that a great word today? You've been challenged by that? Father, we love you, and we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true and active and living and powerful, and Lord, we submit ourselves to it today. In Jesus' name. To God be the glory. Lord, would you speak to our hearts right now? Would you change us right now? God, I pray for a compulsion in us to change into our prayer closets, into our devotion house, God, into our place of, of prayer and solitude and remembrance of the gospel. Lord, would you birth in us a new desire for the word, a new desire for prayer. God, that we turn off the noise for the next few days, maybe the next month. We just fast from social media and the news because, God, that is clouding us and not producing peace. Lord, give us time in your presence every day. And Lord, remind us every day to step into our prayer closet, to step into the word, to spend time with you. And God, I pray that we would be a church full of people, full of wisdom, full of faith, full of grace, full of the spirit, doing miracles and signs and wonders. Lord, we submit ourselves to you right now. Everybody take 30 seconds, just talk to God. Tell him, Lord, tell the Lord what you're gonna do in response to this message. When I say amen, we'll hand it back to our campus pastors. Come on, take 25 seconds. Pray to the Lord right now, right where you are. Jesus. Thank you. Come on, joining online. Take this time right now to pray. Hallelujah. God, we repent doing life in our own strength. We repent, Lord God, of believing you on Sunday and not living for you the rest of our lives. God, we repent of being part-time lovers of this gospel. 
Lord, we want to go all in like Stephen. That you would fill us to be men and women like he was. But God, may it start in the private place. Everybody pray this with me. Say, God, I believe in Jesus. Come on, say it for real. God, I believe in Jesus, that he died for me. And I believe that Jesus wants to know me. Say, I'm all in to the glory of God. I'm all in. I'm all yours forever. Use me, fill me, and change me in Jesus' name. Come on, you believe that today? Everybody say amen. Amen.